It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? You are listening to The Big Cruise Podcast. Hello, and welcome to The Big Cruise Podcast. My name is Chris, and this recording was taken on the 14th of May, 2023. Now, you're probably wondering, where is Baz? Well, unfortunately, Barry is off sick this week. He's got a horrible bug that has made him lose his voice. He can't really speak very well at the moment. And so uh, not much use on a podcast when you, can't, uh, when you can't speak for long periods of time. So he's taking a much-deserved uh, week off, and he's uh, going to recover, and then we're going to be able to bring you um, a, a proper full uh, podcast episode uh, next week, hopefully, if he gets better. Um, so we've all got our fingers crossed for Baz, and uh, we both uh, had a bit of a chat uh, by a text today about what we were going to do with this week's podcast, and I thought, well, rather than leave you another week where we're not able to, to bring the podcast, because we know that we've had a few uneven broadcasts with um, uh, our travel schedule recently, we thought it would be better uh, if I just um, uh, went through a few of the maritime history um, uh, topics that I thought might be really interesting, particularly one in relation to an event that's happening in Australia at the moment uh, with P&O Cruises, and then some of the cruise news that really caught my eye this week just to um, sort of not uh, leave it for too long between uh, between cruise news uh, uh, broadcasts because, of course, um, things are moving so quickly in the cruise industry. We want to make sure we're keeping you up to date. So this week's going to be just me, a little bit of a different uh, broadcast, and then next week we will hopefully be able to bring you a proper big cruise podcast with Barry here as well. So let's get straight into cruise news. So today's cruise news topic actually ties in with the Piendo Cruises 90th anniversary of Australian cruising. And we've spoken about this in previous podcasts. It's just uh, this year um, they're celebrating 90 years of doing cruises in Australia. The first cruise actually took place just, um, just shy of 91 years ago, back in 1932. Um, but in 1933, they had a full schedule of cruises for the first time. 
So this year, uh, P&O in Australia is celebrating that uh, that commitment to cruising that really did start to, to gain traction uh, 90 years ago. But today's cruise news topic is actually um, a little bit different. It's from 1934. It's from the following year. But it is another first for P&O um, and Australian cruising. And it's the first time that a cruise voyage did a full circumnavigation of Australia. And uh, this week, actually, P&O is celebrating that 90th anniversary of cruising in Fremantle and this particular story starts uh, when a ship arrived in Fremantle back in 1934. So the ship in question is a vessel called the Cathay and she was built for P&O's line voyage service between Great Britain and many of the different uh, parts of the British Empire at the time. So uh, P&O had ships that would sail through um, Suez, through to India and onwards to uh, Asia and to Hong Kong and Singapore and Australia and they had feeder service across to New Zealand, a very big network across the world. And Cathay was one of those ships that was designed for that particular um, long-duration line voyage service that um, that P&O was so well known for. And in this particular voyage that, that set sail in late 1933, um, the, the Cathay was sailing across to um, Australia, and she, she called in at Colombo, which was a, a regular stop on those uh, long-duration voyages. It was a fueling stop there, and then sailed from Colombo onwards to Fremantle. And during the voyage, um, she lost a propeller on that uh, particular crossing that um, detached from the ship. And so she was able to make her way to Fremantle, but obviously wasn't operational at a, um, a you know optimum <laughs> capacity because of the, the loss of that propeller. So um, they actually sailed the ship from Fremantle across to Sydney and then pulled her out of service to undertake repairs. And she was um, put in the dry dock and, and given and given repairs, which included um, the installation of a new propeller onto the ship. But when she was finished and ready to go back to on her services back to the UK, she returned to P&O out of their usual timing of their schedule. So they didn't actually need her to go straight back into the line voyage service. So they... We're thinking, well, what are they going to do with this with this ship? It's sort of just sitting there. It's not making any money. Um, so perhaps they could do something a little bit different. So what they ultimately did is they organised at very short notice a 37-day cruise around Australia, the first of its kind for pleasure uh, for pleasure voyages. And uh, it uh, included, uh, well, departed from Sydney. It included stops at uh, Melbourne in uh, Victoria, Adelaide in South Australia, then back through Fremantle in WA. Then it actually sailed up to um, Indonesia uh, and spent some time in what was then called Batavia, but uh, or Batavia, now it's Jakarta, um, then pulled in at, at Bali as well, and then sailed through or transited the Torres Straits, made a cruising pass through the Great Barrier Reef, and then called in at Brisbane and then again to Sydney. And this was a, a an interesting experience for P&O because it actually sold quite well, and people really did enjoy the idea of going on a long duration cruise around around Australia. Um, and so it kind of gave them this extra boost of confidence that their 1932 commitment to cruising, then their 1933 schedule, which we're celebrating now, the first sort of dedicated cruise schedule, supplemented by this sort of ad hoc round Australia cruise, which went really well, meant that the company really did start to sort of pursue this cruising in Australian waters, cruising in the South Pacific um, pathway that's led to the P&O Australia sort of heritage and the brand that we have today.
Now, this particular cruise uh, was first class only, so they only sold the first class berths. Um, they figured that people wouldn't want to cruise for pleasure in tourist class. Um, and it was uh, £70 was the minimum uh, fare to get on board the ship for that for that uh, journey. So it sounds so cheap, of course, with inflation. It's, um, it, it, you know, the numbers are quite different, but it's a £70 uh, voyage. Sounds very reasonable. Um, and the ship actually stayed in overnight ports. It stayed up in Indonesia, it stayed in, in Jakarta for five days, and it also stayed in Bali for two days. So they kind of were also testing out that long stay in different ports kind of idea that allowed passengers to sort of go ashore and spend time in the different um, different cities and really explore their cruising destinations. So this week um, coming up uh, in uh, on Thursday of this week, uh, the Pacific Explorer is going to be in Fremantle and we're going to be once again celebrating the um, P&O Australia connection to cruising in Fremantle. We did um, previously um, had that celebration in Brisbane that I've, I've been working with P&O on in terms of their history and their heritage, working with, uh, with Rochelle Cross, but also um, uh, Rob Henderson, um, who's a fantastic P&O uh, historian and has a remarkable collection of P&O history and memorabilia. So they've been working with, with him as well on this, um, on this celebration and really sort of paying tribute to the, uh, the impact that P&O has had, but also the historic connection um, that, you know, it's a national, uh, international brand. It's now known in many different places, but for Australia, P&O really was the, 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 the brand that sort of started the Australian cruising experience in local waters. Um, and so, you know, very special sort of year for that with 90 years since all that um, was starting to kick off uh, back in the 1930s. So for cruise news, there's a few uh, things that came across my, my desk that I thought um, just are either interesting or a bit timely, so I wanted to share it with you this week rather than waiting for next week when it might be a little bit out of date. The first one is Carnival, which has announced that it's going to be uh, redoing its uh, Golf Glow at Sydney Zoo, um, which is uh, sounds, sounds interesting, but basically what it is is it's a Carnival Cruise Line-inspired mini-golf that um, is being run at the Sydney Zoo. And it's, uh, it, it sounds quite interesting because they've got four unique sort of styles here. There's the hole-in-one Seuss at Sea, which is a, a whole sort of setup that links in with the Dr. Seuss world that Carnival is quite well known for. Then they have Green Lightning, which has a water slide hole in this uh, in this mini golf course, which sounds again quite um, fascinating. The most uh, unusual one, I think, is the Pepperoni Pizza Party, where they say that there's uh, pizza pieces hidden in the holes, and if you want to make up your pizza, you have to sort of get the um, the order right. So it'd be fascinating to find out how that um, is going to work, and if anyone ends up doing this um, golf. Uh, Glow Golf at Sydney Zoo, um, please do get in touch with us to let us know how the pepperoni pizza party um, actually, actually, what the experience was actually like and how it worked out. And then there's the Island Hopper, which is a, a um, all based around beach vibes and a relaxing um, feel of playing golf at sea. So this whole program was launched last year, um, and it it did really well. They had a great um, great feedback um, as part of that. So they've decided to do it once again, and it's all kicking off over at Sydney Zoo. So uh, you can find out more information about that uh, at the um, at the Sydney Zoo and also at uh, Carnival Australia's website.
The next thing that I was uh, very interested in, actually a friend of mine sent me, sent me this, um, uh, Anthony Davis, actually, who used to, uh, used to run a uh, radio program on uh, Britain's LBC um, radio uh, show. I spoke to him many times back in the past about ocean liners and the QE2, and he still keeps me up to date from a few things that are happening around the world. So he um, he sent this one through. But it's about a, a Titanic-era steamship that used to operate on the Great Lakes. Um, its name is the SS Kiwaton, and it was uh, operating – well, firstly, it was built in Scotland, so it's a, it's a ship that has a, a, a heritage in those Scottish shipyards where they were building these steam-powered um, ships, these, these, these um, uh, big reciprocating engine-powered vessels. And uh, she was built to undertake voyages on the Great Lakes. So she was built in Scotland, moved across to, um, to the, the Americas, and then um, sailed on the, on the Great Lakes. And when she finally retired, she became, in 1965, a museum uh, in Michigan. So she actually was able to be saved from being sent to scrap and was, uh, was restored and, and, and maintained as a, as a museum, but not where she was operating. So the really interesting thing is that in 2012, she was acquired by her current owners and was moved across to the Great Lakes, where they started to prepare her to be operated as a, um, a museum ship in the place where she used to operate, where she used to sail. And they've just announced now that the ship will open, reopen rather, in 2024. So this is a really interesting opportunity to go and have a, a look at a, at a ship that was built in 1907. So it's a, it's even predates Titanic, actually. It's a, it's a, um, a Lusitania, Mauritania era ship. And she was one of a number of these steamers that used to uh, operate on the Great Lakes uh, she wasn't the only one, and had a working life, as I say, like from 1907 all the way through to 1965. It was a remarkable amount of time um, that that she was um, that she was in service for. And um, you know what's really interesting is that uh, the the ship itself um, has uh, is being restored with its original sort of style and interior. You can look at the outside of the vessel. It's got a, a beautiful um, counter stern. It's got the exposed rudder there. It's got the single single uh, large funnel in the center of the ship, the old style of radial davits um, on the ship as well. So you can get a really good feel of what these these vessels were like, and it can kind of help you make that connection between um, – uh, you know the the modern day passenger ships and what those Edwardian um, style of of vessels really were like. So um, if you're in the area, if you're around uh, um, in, in the United States or in Canada, if you're close by, or even if you're travelling there for a holiday, uh, maybe it's one of those things you should put on your on your list to have a look at. Now coming back a bit closer to Australia and P&O cruises in Australia, aside from that um, that connection with its 90th anniversary we were talking about before, but they've also launched um, new their new 2024-25 cruise brochure. This all links in again with their birthday or their anniversary celebrations for cruising. So this isn't just a one-year sort of thing. They're going to sort of make this connection with their history throughout the next few years because of all those firsts that we were talking about before. And this particular brochure now has 157 new voyages that they're um, offering across 46 ports of call. And the two that really stood out was a seven-night Kangaroo Island voyage. So that's um, making a call in at Kangaroo Island and, and uh, you know, that particular area. I, I visited there on board the Queen Mary 2 uh, earlier this year and having 
having with the island having been firstly decimated by fire uh, a few years ago, and then of course the impact of the pandemic, it's so important for that local community to have these cruise ships coming back um, to help with the economy there. So that's uh, you're very well welcomed, um, and some really interesting short tour opportunities as well. Uh, we went up on a on a on a boat um, out to have a look at dolphins, and sometimes you can even see whales. We've got quite a good view of a pot of dolphins playing in the water, which was really exciting. Uh, and then the other um, uh, highlight cruise is a seven night voyage to Conflict Island. So again, the connection with the um, with the island ports that the that the P and O brand is known for. Now skipping across to Holland, America, and they're on deck for a cause program has made news this week because they're partnered with Alaska Geographic to um, help raise money to boost uh, Alaska Geographic's work in the areas around Alaska. Now, Holland America line is very well known for its connection in Alaska. It's one of the pioneering cruise lines in the Alaskan region and, of course, has uh, has many, many uh, cruise op- operations and offerings that go into the Alaskan uh, ports. So it's a very appropriate connection for them to have with Alaska Geographic here. So On Deck for a Cause is their sort of fundraising program that they have on board. And in this particular partnership, passengers on Alaskan cruises are um, invited to donate $25 Towards the um, the partnership here to help um, with this uh, this uh, fundraising for Alaska Geographic's work, and how they're doing it is there's going to be a voluntary or non um, non competitive they say um, walking fundraiser on board the ship, and if you join up to do that and you can donate your twenty five dollars, then you go into this um, this sort of pool of uh, of um, friendly competition that uh, that can help. Uh, uh, raise money for this particular cause. So all participants get a T-shirt and a wristband, and there's a special reception afterwards to celebrate the the efforts that they've put in, the passengers have put in, uh, and that money is then going to be uh, obviously um, utilised for a number of the the programs that um, that uh, Alaska Geographic does. Now this isn't the only. Uh, Beneficiary for on deck for a cause throughout the the years. The program actually um, started back in two thousand six. And they've had half a million participants partake in over 8,400 walks since uh, 2006. And just recently have been able to donate $550,000 to support uh, charities that are helping with the efforts, uh, humanitarian efforts in the Ukraine. So that's a, it's a very wide-reaching program uh, with that um, obviously very different um, angles in terms of the beneficiaries. But uh, today's uh, news, of course, being that link in with uh, Alaska Geographic, but I do think it's also important to sort of point out the other good work uh, that um, the, the company is doing for other charities around the world. Now coming back to Australia, and Cunard has also announced that it's going to be repeating its great culinary voyage on board Queen Elizabeth in 2024. This was run this year, and it was great, uh, great success. Um, many people uh, chose specifically to go on this voyage because of the uh, culinary experts that were sailing on board it. And due to the success of it, they've decided to to do another one for for next year. So some of the um, some of the uh, sort of people that you might know the names of who are going to be a part of the entertainment lineup here include Karen Martini, Mark Olive, and Kate Spain, to to name just a few. And if you're into your food and wine, you probably already know their biographies. But Cunard has a full list of their their backgrounds and their culinary expertise on their website. Um, but there's going to be a series of interactive dining events on board the ship, and one that really does stand out is Mark Olive, who uses many uh, natural Australian ingredients from our 
natural flora here on the Australian continent. So he's quite well known for that and will be running a series of demonstrations on board Queen Elizabeth. But for full details, check out the Cunard website, The Great Culinary Voyage. It does sound great. And it'll be departing on the 5th of January 2024. And finally, from AIDA all the way across in Europe, uh, AIDA Ma has celebrated um, the company's announcement of its extension of its partnership with the Rostock Seawolves for the 2023-24 basketball season. Now, AIDA has uh, has really um, beefed up its partnership here and its commitment to helping um, grow the interest in the sport. So they've got, of course, their, their sponsorship and their partnership here with the Seawolves, but also run the AIDA Student League, which uh, helps encourage younger people people to get involved uh, in sport as well. And uh, to celebrate this event, the uh, passengers and crew of um, AIDA's uh, AIDA Ma were at the stadium uh, recently to cheer on the Seawolves when they were playing uh, there at their, um, at their one of their basketball games. So really great opportunity for the, um, for the passengers and crew of AIDA to get involved and to see that partnership coming to life uh, right out there on the court. And as, um, as a tall person myself who plays a lot of basketball and spent a lot of time um, being asked over the years, do you play basketball? Because I'm almost two metres tall, so that's uh, obviously a natural question that people ask. And have recently got back into the sport. It's a fantastic um, way to, to exercise. It's a great social um, social sport as well. And if you can, uh, you know, people from all ages and all heights and uh, and all abilities can get involved in a sport like basketball, which is great. So it's good to see Aida uh, helping out the sport there in its um, in its capacity as uh, as partner. So that brings us to a wrap for this week's cruise news and maritime history. I'm sorry it's not a usual um, podcast this week, but hopefully you found this interesting. Um, if you have any uh, any questions, anything that you might want to add to the podcast, anything you'd like to, to, to suggest that we can do in terms of um, topics that you'd like to see us covering in maritime history, check out thebigcruisepodcast.com. You can go join the show and send in a note. Barry will see those. If you want to send me in something to try and stump Barry in a fact or fiction segment, visit my uh, website, chrisframe.com.au. There's a link there to contact me. It'll take you across to a contact form on my Chris Cunard page page and send me in uh, the fact or fiction because we don't want Barry to see it otherwise he knows he will know the answer he'll do some research but uh, if you send it to me directly then I can uh, stick it into the show and and try and trick him next week when he's back on his feet hopefully Um, although perhaps uh, after him being sick we should be a little bit nicer and give him a nice easy one for next week anyways uh, so from me here I hope that uh, all of you have a great week Um, and stay safe, Uh, enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll see you next week on the Big Cruise Podcast. Take care. That's all for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Until next time, bon voyage. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.